Hello and welcome back to Spy Hard's podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Agent Scott. Oh, wait, am I? Who am I? Am I Cam the Provocateur? Am I Agent Scott? I can't even remember. I think I'm Cam the Provocateur. I hope you are, because that would make a very weird podcast if there were just two of us. Or maybe it would be really good if it was just me and me. Hmm. Well, well, we'll see about... I don't know about that. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. But Cam, this week we thought we'd do something a little bit different. We're bringing in a very special guest, Mr. Jamie B. Chambers. He's a friend of the show and actually worked on this week's film. You'll see him in the film as part of the CIA laundry team right at the start tries to extract Ryan Reynolds, ends up extracting Ryan Reynolds' body from a ill-fated interrogation scene. As I said, it is none other than Jamie B. Chambers. How you doing, Jamie? Hey, Scott. Hey, Cam. How you doing? Doing wonderful. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this, guys. Well, uh, we've picked a great film for you to join us for, obviously, but we'll get to that in a minute. Now, Let's talk a little bit about you. Now, I've known you for many, many years. I used to work in a gym that you frequented, and uh, my manager was one of your best friends. Uh, we've, I think we've worked out before and kept in touch over the years, so it's good to have you on the show finally. But, you know, I've, I've not done much since. You've come to be an actor, so I think you've done much better than me. <laughs> uh, it's all relative. It's all relative, Scott. <laughs> well, I'm, um, I'm interested to know, I mean, we've spoken about it privately off air, but when because i remember at one point you were in, working in football yeah very true where did where did the change happen what made you want to go into acting i am rubbish with regret i hate it i'm terrible at it and i i, I try and have as few as possible I, i'm of the opinion i'd rather do something screw it up and know that i tried rather than have it in the back of my head oh i, I wish i tried that i wish i'd done that so um yeah i i was head of my department working for a prominent football club and that will remain nameless and i i was just like nah this isn't for me i, I can't and um <clears throat> i was watching the first transporter and statham busting through the bus garage and uh it was it's the it's the scene where the motor oil goes on the floor and he puts the pedals from the pedal bike on and just dances through this ballet of like absolute vicious fighting sequence and i was like i can do that i don't know how and i don't have the skills to do it but i can do that um i phoned up work and i was like and this is like the 22nd of december i was like yeah um this is my notice i'm not coming back and i quit my job made a free profile on a actor website had my first job in january and just went from there so um yeah i it's the it, the best way to put it. It's the best mistake I ever made, definitely. Well, you gambled on yourself, and it's clearly paid off. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. No skills, no training, no plan B, no backup. Um, just ran with it. Stop describing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, you've just basically dropped everything to do this. What was like the first moment of like genuine encouragement of like, okay, this is potentially viable? Yeah. Um. So. I got, a, and I told Scott this because it's weird to sort of talk about where I am to where I was. Um, I must have looked so ropey 11 years ago because um, the first job I got, and this is like a couple of weeks into having a free profile on this website, and um, I got this job as a recovering heroin addict. 
um, in a like teen drug awareness video. And um, I turned up on the day and I didn't know what a casting was, I didn't know what a script was, I didn't know what sides were. You name it, I hadn't got a Scooby. And I um, met this guy and they were like, okay, Jamie, um, you're going to chat with Jake for a bit and then you're going to learn his life and then you're going to deliver it to camera. And, oh, you can you can cry on cue, right? I was like, no. <laughs> what? Um, so I, I did it and got through it. And about two, three weeks later, uh, after the video went live, I was getting these weird phone calls. I was getting these like, hey, man. Um, can we chat? Can we can we have a can we have a quiet word? And I was like, yeah, what about? And they're like, we need to talk about your drug problem. I was like, you what? I'm teetotal. Like, I what are you talking about? <laughs> and then the penny dropped, and I was like, oh, you've seen the video? No, no, I'm I'm acting now. So that was the first, and it almost immediate. Like, yeah, I can run with this. I can make this work. And yeah, from then on, I mean, I've, I'm lucky. I've got a lot of people around me that are very supportive and very uh, sort of. Um, trusting in the fact that i know vaguely kind of what i'm doing um <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's sort of going from strength to strength from that so you you've done this you you've got that initial encouragement which is good but now you're starting to get a grip into the actual industry you're getting your first proper gigs now i've got a list of some of the spy films you've been in apart from this week's film okay the list reads a bit better necessarily than this, this week's film um, so maybe you can help me fill in the gaps because I've got three other films I've got listed and I can't find any more, but you might have done some that's uncredited, okay. that's not on your profile, anything like that. So I've got, going backwards, Grimsby <laughs> from the same year this film came out. I love that film. That was brilliant. I haven't got a bad thing to say about that. I know Cam's a big fan of that one. I've actually never seen it. I thought you said you had. No. I never okay. said someone, that. <laughs> some, I must have been someone online. I've never seen it either, actually. So Brian Cohen and Mark Strong are fantastic. And yeah, everything about that film is just fun. Um, Sasha very rarely makes a bad film anyway, um, as long as you take it for what it's intended for. Um, you, you can't take his stuff out of context. It's purely, oh, this is stupid, and you run with it. Um, so that, that was, yeah, that, Grimsby was great. No issues there. It's actually crazy because all these films we've never actually covered. So the first film of your films is the one we're talking about this week. It's uh, uh, yeah, we're starting from maybe from the bottom, working our way up That's in, in in the Jamie Chambers lineage of spy films. Yeah. <laughs> um, next up is another one that's requested quite a lot, but we haven't touched them yet because we're saving them for way down the line. Mission Impossible: yeah. Rogue Nation. Yeah, um, that was great. Uh, I'm lucky because. I have a really sort of broad network in the industry now and not just on the acting side, but um, in production, in casting and in stunts. Um, some of my closest friends, some some of my really sort of best friends throw themselves off buildings, get hit by cars for a living. That's you know, a thing. But um, yeah, I, I got involved in the action team for that. And we were down in a power station in Portsmouth. Um, which doubled for the computer reactor um, scene. That was very cool. Also watched a couple of BMW i8s. Is it um, get written off? That was that was shocking, <laughs> upsetting. I was like, I'll, I'll take the wreckage. Just just, just give me the car. Um, <laughs> just give me the scraps. I'll oh, make something yeah. from it. Uh, but no, that that was awesome. Um, uh, there was a, a parachute scene and some other bits going on there. A lot, a lot of like action vehicle stuff, which was really fun. And then watching Tom, because he does, he, I didn't believe it till I saw it for myself. 
he legitimately does everything himself. And we're in this um, hollowed out old reactor and Tom's up on 78. I say Tom like I shouldn't be saying Mr. Cruise, by the way. Um, <laughs> Tom Cruise is up on this platform uh, with Rebecca Ferguson and he suits up and then he's in a D-cell harness and he just dives into this hole. There's no, there's no water. There's no, all of that is CG after the fact. He just dived on a D-cell rig into this hole and then just unclips and goes again. And that was insane. Just watching. And he was happy to keep doing it over and over and over. Um, and uh, yeah, it was one of those moments where like, I'm doing my own stunts. That's it. I've decided that that's, uh, there's no argument now. He's still doing it like he's mid fifties now, yeah. I think. Late fifties. I think when you own the franchise, you're allowed to do that though. I think that's just like part and parcel of it. Right, and this is uh, interesting to talk about Mission Impossible because we just found out they've been delayed for a whole other year, unfortunately, the seven and eight. Yeah. So they're coming out in 23 and 24 respectively now. Yeah, uh, I think they're, they're doing it back to back as well, from what I understand. Um, and then that will be from Tom Cruise's perspective. I think that will be the series underlined and done. Um, and maybe a, maybe a soft reset or give it to Jeremy Renner because he doesn't get a fair crack at anything. <laughs> uh, he's uh, he's probably getting too old now, right? Like they probably I don't know how you ever replace Tom Cruise in terms of an actor who can pull off stunts, but they're gonna have to find someone who can deliver something approaching what yeah. you know audiences are used to. I think you'd have to go back to the original formula of Mission Impossible and make it a television show, more about the the, the cavalcade yeah. of the IMF players and different people every week on a mission. Yeah, a, a sort of monster of the week, team of the week situation, um, more than like every single time is Tom Cruise's character going rogue every single week, you know, it'd have to be a lot more um, formulaic. Which I, I, I don't mind. Maybe uh, I, I quite like serialized television in, in that sense, yeah. but also that sort of, also I like Monster of the Week stuff. So I, I think the Mission Impossible TV series in the 60s is, is a very good show. I'm surprised they never really tried to revive it, apart from the 80s revival again. But then I guess Tom Cruise got a hold of it. So Well, the, um, the actor that... Uh plays Jim Phelps in the TV series refused to come back for the film because they were making yeah. Jim Phelps into a villain. And he that's why there's no uh, crossover chronology with the series and the film is because they went, okay, well, if you don't want to do it, there's a whole line of actors that will jump into that role. So, yeah, I'd like it to go to a TV series now. It, it, how big can you go before, you know, it's, it's, it's Fast and Furious, essentially. Well, yeah, indeed. Well, and the last one on my list of spy films I've got that you may correct me on, another very much requested film, Kingsman, The Secret Service. Yeah, another one where I lucked out. And um, uh, funny enough, one of the action coordinators for Criminal was on Kingsman. And um, I, I get on very well with a lot of ex-squaddies and bootnecks and those sort of guys. And they're all awesome. They're, it seems to be a thing, come out of the military and then pick up guns in films. That's, that's, that's sort of like a thing. Um, very lucky uh, that I got a message saying, need guys that I can trust that can fire a gun at Taron Egerton and you know not you know do anything insane. Uh, we were in Leavesden in the amazing set build that they did with the underground um caverns for sam jackson's bit um got my head blown off 20 
30 times on that one. <laughs> we didn't know, obviously, the end product was going to be a rainbow mushroom cloud. But um, yeah, that, that, that was whiplash beyond whiplash after that. But it was really, really good fun, that one. Well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm charting your sort of career backwards, but looking at it, have I missed a spy film is my first question. So, in terms of the spy films? In terms of what you've done, have I missed a spy film? I've got like I've got like sixty credits. It's like um uh uh I don't think so. I don't um I mean at least not that I'm not going on to that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> oh, 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 I like that. Uh, I had I had one of those conversations in a like production meeting the other day, and you know the sort of ones where you don't have a reaction, you don't know what to say. You're like. Yes, yes, please. Like <laughs> that was that was all I had. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of the spy stuff, I think you pretty much covered it. I think. Well, I I'm pretty good at reading subtext, and and what I heard there was, ladies and gentlemen, the next James Bond, <laughs> Jamie Chambers. <laughs> now I I do have an inside track on the whole Bond thing, um, and I I know I know the Broccoli's had a very clear list, um, and at least. Two of their list have said yes, that I know of. Mm. Again, another one of those things that privileged knowledge that I can't even, I shouldn't even really talk about that much. But, you know, um, I, I personally think with the whole Bond thing, it is getting too big. It's getting too silly. It needs refining. It needs pulling back in. Um, I know, Scott, you said about doing Moonraker, but a better version, an actual proper version. Um, and then I, I I feel Bond needs grounding again. And I don't mean as in just like darker and grittier and angrier. Um, he needs grounding kind of like Lazenby and Dalton and make it more acceptable character. Because Brosnan started off like that. And then we had a boat go over. A, yeah. <laughs> and then a guy with diamonds in his face. Um, <laughs> So yeah, like a balance between those two would be where Bond needs to go now. Well, Bond naturally sort of inflates and deflates. Um, I think it's due a deflation, yes. just in terms of stakes. I think really that's that's what it needs. Uh, you know, as you say, Casino Royale started very low stakes, but then by the end, it's a a, a world wiping out virus that that uh, that kills Bond. That targets that stays in your blood forever. Like it's. Yeah, well, okay. So I think before we move on to spy films proper, I want to just tackle you a little bit more and I'll dissect you your career just a wee bit more before we get into what we're talking about. Sounds dangerous. So you said 62 credits in IMDb. Yeah, that's about that. That's about right. Okay. So a lot of people, this might be the first time they're hearing of you listening to the show. What's something you would point them towards? What's some of the favorite, some of your best work you've done so oh, far? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, be proud of yourself. Rep yourself. You've got good work. Tell people about it. I'm, I'm really proud of what I've just finished, which isn't technically spy, but it is kind of action drama, under underworld sort of thing. Um, we, uh, we've got reshoots in February, but um, we've just finished Morris Men, and that is going to be a lot of fun. Um, the whole idea of like underground vigilantes masquerading as Morris dancers going from town to town performing hits on like the criminal underworld so that that was really cool for me and a huge challenge as well because the um don morgan put it on me he was like i genuinely don't think you've got the emotional depth to do this and i was like 
okay all right challenge accepted so um it was huge and i was incredibly lucky the cast uh are amazing we've got eloise lavelle anderson from villain rosso hennessy from game of thrones john camplin from harry potter uh we, we've got some absolutely incredible guys uh amazing stunties as well ed gamester justin sysom the, these guys just absolutely knocked it out of the park and the, the crew just pulled off an incredible feat. We we have a 104 beat fight sequence through an old style arcade um, carousel type area on a pier in Walton, um, which is just next level. We've got me and Ed Gamester fighting for a good sort of five ten minutes throughout, very very John Wick style, which is cool. Um, I don't want to go and reshoot it because that was a hard shoot but yeah I, I would definitely point people that way because that's going to be awesome and um i've just uh, you, you'll see it more than a few times uh one shot's just come out um on sky originals uh new scott adkins film and it's it's so clever um it's designed uh, uh james nunn ben jacks um put this together and it's designed to all be in one take so the uh, special forces operatives land at a Guantanamo type base to escort a prisoner and it all goes sideways. That's the general plot. So survival action thriller. Um, there's uh, Jess Laudan is in it. He's amazing um, as the big bad. Um, Lee Charles does an incredible job. Jack Parr, um, good friend of mine, absolutely smashed it out of the park. I mean, Scott, you, you, you know, Scott's always going to deliver. Uh, Scott Atkins is outstanding. I've got, nothing but positive things because scott's in criminal funny enough um but yeah one shot is going to be really really good i thought you were praising me there for a second but, uh, <laughs> oh scott that goes without saying <laughs> alas it was not meant to be one last question for you before we move on to sort of spy films in general you have a an interesting credit that i wanted to just quickly talk to you about Go for it. well because you know we spoke off air all three of us about star trek we're all star trek fans cam and i have star trek costumes but you have been on screen as a stormtrooper. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going against brand here, off brand. Are we allowed, are we allowed to talk about brand loyalty here? <laughs> yeah. So how did that come about? You know, what are you in Force Awakens from what I saw? You were the heavy gunner, I think yeah. it was. That's true. That's true. Um, I was on Fury and fury was an awesome experience i was on fury from day one to rap and it was a, a good wow. few months and an amazing amazing experience with some really incredible people across the board from watching david air work who he's like a machine he just carries on and he knows what he wants he has a really good vision roman pavlenko um dop is a, i don't think that i ever saw the guy have a coffee like or, or stop he was just on it the whole time and same with toby heffernan the first um he inspired me in terms of what i look for in crew and when i look at crew because toby knew everyone um every department every person he knew what was going on from scene one to scene 10 absolutely incredible um i was very lucky to work closely with um fraser fennel ball and he is an award-winning ad and the guy has what I can only describe as like a photographic memory in terms of he knew everyone, he knew everything about them, he he knew what was going on each day, but was so human about it and was amazing. 
I found myself working with the AD department on top of being in the film, helping the stunt department, um, uh, jack of all trades, master of absolutely nothing, but equally like hands in all the pies. So it was really cool. And then on one of the last days of filming, um, I was given a covert to be part of the AD department. And uh, uh, Jamie, can you just hang back at base? Like, yeah, sure. And um, they were like, how do you handle the heat? I was like, yeah, I, I, I like hot places. Uh, all right, okay. Um, you're right wearing like heavy armor and stuff. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> In my head, I was thinking we're doing like uh, the next hollow crown or something. You know, I wasn't wasn't really thinking about it. Um, and then like I, I just left. I just left it. I didn't. I didn't think anything of it. Mic'd up, grabbed my gun and went. Um, and then about three or four weeks later, I get a phone call from a Abu Dhabi number. And I was like, this has got to be the most expensive PPI call ever. But <laughs> I answered it, and um, it's Fraser in the UAE, and he's like, "Yeah, we want you to come out on the new Star Wars. Um, we 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 want you to be one of the new stormtroopers for Star Wars Seven. I was absolutely blown away. I was actually in the office with my agent at the time, and I sort of put the phone down. I was like, "I'm going to the UAE." <laughs> it wasn't even like a question. It was like, "I'm I'm I'm going." Um, that was amazing across the board. Uh, I I. I don't know how I fitted into a costume. If I'm being brutally honest, I'm not a model. I'm, I, I don't have that sort of body type. You know, I'm not six foot slender. You know, I'm, uh, so I turned up at the costume department at Skywalker Valley and Dumpy McFatty walks in and the costume department look at me and go, oh, no. <laughs> 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 so they they put me in the flame trooper costume. Nope, don't breathe, don't move. We only got one of these. Took it off. Um, put me in the squad leader, uh, and they were like, "Oh, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. Go away, go away, You're a fat person, please leave." And um, like I came back, and what they'd done, and no word of a lie, um, they'd taken two costumes and cut them in half and made one. <laughs> out of two and then they and where the heavy gunner stuff came from is they had some old uh german bandolier stuff from a previous film put some white cartridges in the front and went right this is how we're going to keep you in the costume and put it on lashed it around pulled it tight they were like just don't breathe go, go and sprint around in 46 degree heat in the sun and just don't breathe you'll be fine and that's how it came about but it it was one of the best experiences ever um Everyone was pulling the same way for an amazing project. And then on top of that, um, it was Star Wars. So you, you just can't go wrong. Yeah, you very much fulfilled my childhood dream there of getting to wear Stormtrooper armor. So that's absolutely incredible. <laughs> I mean, everyone thinks that until they wear it, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. Like, eight-year-old me would have happily done it. But 41-year-old uh, me? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. everyone said the same thing, and and you sort of hear about like, uh, see, uh, uh, Prince Harry was in a costume for the day, and Daniel Craig, and I was like, yeah, one day, <laughs> just, just, yeah, <laughs> and immediately out of the costume. Um, they're better now. Uh, I spoke to a few of my stuntmates recently, and they're like, uh, oh, it's not even, it's like soft poly pro now. It just looks like it. Everything bends and moves. I was like, yeah, mine was like PVC. <laughs> mine didn't move at all like i've still got scars like <laughs> it's, it's interesting that uh the, the phrase heavy gunner 
I, I thought it was more to do with the weapon you were holding, but it turns out it's more to do with the actor. Yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> it was cool though because um, we it was it was the first time we saw all the Gucci weapons and like some of the new rifles and stuff. I was really blown away with because they 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 took everything that was classic and just gave it like a modern update. And um, the armorer comes up to me and goes, "None of these are yours, mate." I was like, "Hey." I was thinking it was just run around in the desert, just like flailing my hands to do the Team America thing. And um, he goes, no, 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 we've got a BFG for you. And um, he goes over to this crate, opens it up, and then pulls out this huge cannon. He was like, there you go. I was like, and trying to get my hand around it. I was like, this is this is man size. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, <laughs> But yeah, it was really, it was really awesome. And I was like, yeah, I, I can lug this around. Just uh, I can't see what I'm doing anyway. Like I'm completely blind. But yeah, that that was awesome. And all the props and it was the first time where, especially from seeing the other side of sci-fi, where everything was practical. There's such so little CGI throughout, really, and all the creatures and all that sort of stuff. And seeing the animatronics, I was just it, it was fantastic. And obviously the crossover being um, Simon Pegg being the junkyard owner and like just seeing him in that huge animatronic suit I, was, I did not envy that at all that that must have been well I know it was a really tough experience but yeah everything about it was awesome well I, I think you've passed muster except for your spy credentials this is what we need to know before we get on to this week's film, okay just a couple of your favorite spy films personally what do you look for in a spy film okay so first and foremost it all depends on the period with spy films for me. If it's a modern spy film, then I like the Bourne uh, way of doing things. I like the idea that it's very cloak and dagger, but it's get job done, get out. Um, it's not, you know, over the top gadgets. It, it's very real time, real play. Um, so that end of the spectrum, I'm very much into Jason Bourne, uh, that, 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 that side of things. Not the last two, um, but certainly the first three um then on the other side of things the brosnan era bond um for me uh as much as daniel craig would be pretty much the second best i think connery took it too far one way um and everyone says connery was the best for me the brosnan era balanced the gadgets that you want from like the overtop sci-fi elements of spy films and then on top of that, you had the suave, like hiding in plain sight James Bond that you that everyone sort of thinks about. So that would be my my top two. Okay, uh, you, you're about the same reasoning as I come up with generally. So I think we are in Sapatico. So I think we've arrived at the destination. Cam, can you stick the cattle prod in my mouth and tell me what we're doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about 2016's Criminal. Starring Kevin Costner and directed by Ariel Vroman. Now, I had no experience in this film before we spoke about it. Jamie obviously has experience before we spoke about it, but we'll get into that. Cam, had you ever heard of this film? I'd heard of it, and it feels like the kind of movie... I used to have a movie theater, like, a block from my house that closed down about two years ago. And I would so often go to, like, 10 p.m. showings of things like The Mechanic 2... Uh, take in three things like that you know movies that maybe my friends didn't want to see but I was bored so I'd go ah why not I'll just go check out this action movie 
it feels like a movie I would have gone to, but I didn't. And I'm not even that sure why. So I guess it just slipped by somehow unnoticed. Yeah, we'll probably get into that a little bit, but you would think this film would have been more popular. Well, I'll just say that. I, I'm, yeah. I'm surprised it's such a financial dud. I really am. It feels like it was coming out at that time of kind of the dad action movies where even if they weren't taken level delivering what an audience wanted, they still did well. And Costner had done that Three Days to Kill, I think, before this. And, like, it wasn't huge, but, you know, enough people saw it. So, yeah. And there's enough eye candy in this film in terms of Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, um, even, even Gary Steve. Oldman. You know, there, there are people... That Tommy Lee Jones. This film. Yes, well, I mean, Tommy Lee is chewing the scenery for fun in this. And I'm really surprised in terms of how many temp poles they've got in this film that more people... I think it only made 38 of 31 million. And you know, for me, it's just like, how did you manage that when you've got five of the biggest names in the film? Well, I think we'll uh, we'll get into that. But before we do, the letterbox.com synopsis, I know you're all waiting for it. Here we go. Criminal. CIA agent Bill Pope is on a mission to track down a shadowy hacker named the Dutchman. When he gets mysteriously killed, an experimental procedure transfers his memories into a dangerous ex-convict. When he wakes up Pope's memories, his mission is to eliminate the Dutchman before the hacker launches ICBMs and starts World War Three. That is the I mean, of the film. <laughs> yeah, like, the plot is far more confusing than what they're uh, getting across in that letterbox synopsis. Letterbox have made that a lot less convoluted than it actually is. I mean, I've sat here for some very complex spy movies, taking notes, being like, okay, yeah, I can connect the dots there, there. This one, there was points where I was like, uh, just writing question marks on my notes. Yeah. <laughs> that is my notes. One big page, just a question mark, basically. <laughs> just call me the Riddler. <laughs> at, at one point, I was like, how much of this is actually getting paid off in this film? Like, I, they set up so much and then gave back so little. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Cam, can you tell us how we got Criminal? Yeah, sort of. There's not a lot of detail about this one, so maybe Jamie has some things he can throw in as well um, towards, you know, when I kind of get later on. But, like, it was a spec script written by um, writers Douglas Cook and David Weisberg, who'd gotten their big break writing the movie Holy Matrimony for um, director Leonard Nimoy. It was a comedy with Patricia Arquette and Joseph Gordon-Levitt back in the day. Um, they had a story credit on The Rock. And then they also did the screenplay for Double Jeopardy, the Ashley Judd, Tommy Lee Jones thriller. And so they'd written this spec script. And Scott, yes, you look perplexed. It, just the way you threw off director Leonard Nimoy, like it didn't mean anything. Is there a second Leonard Nimoy I don't know? Or is it the Leonard Nimoy? I don't know. You seem confused, Scott. Leonard Nimoy directed two Star Trek films. No, no, I know he's a director. Just the way you phrase it was just like director Leonard Nimoy. Like, that's oh, what yeah, he's yeah. known for. Like, he wouldn't go, oh, the guy who played Spock. Oh, or just Leonard Nimoy. Like, you, had to, you had to preface director Leonard Nimoy just to say, <laughs> hey, guys, you might not know who Spock is. Have you, have you heard of, like, what is it? Who's Looking Three or whatever? Who's Talking Three? Uh, well, yes. Yeah, for those that don't know, Leonard Nimoy um, directed Star Trek Three, which was a hit. And then he did Star Trek IV, which was a massive hit. And then he had a bit of a directorial career for a while. He did Three Men and a Baby, which was the highest grossing film yeah. domestically of 1987. And then 
it was sort of um, diminishing returns, and yeah, Holy Matrimony falls into the diminishing returns. I think it might have been his final directorial effort as well. So uh, yeah, a little bit of a sad little note there for his, uh, Nimoy's director career. But this spec script that they wrote was acquired by Millennium Films. And Millennium is a company that goes back to 1988. And if you look up their output, a lot of people would say it's a lot of these straight-to-video kind of yeah. schlock. You know, a lot of action movies, a lot of thrillers, a lot of shark thrillers, I noticed. Um, <laughs> a lot of movies you may have seen at the video store that look a little bit like something else you've seen before. You know, Alien Terminator, that kind of thing. Kind of like what Asylum do. Exactly, yeah. But every now and again, they get reputable, and they'll do something that actually gets a theatrical release. So you kind of go through their, you know, their credits, and you'll see, like, some small prestige drama that maybe didn't perform that great but they were behind it and you know they've got some legit stuff they did 16 blocks with bruce willis they did um the film rambo with stallone as well as the the newer rambo film last blood uh, they did the expendable series hitman's bodyguard um the jason momoa conan cam i think you're missing out the most important film here oh and what is that scott they did the outpost with scott eastwood Oh my god, I did watch that. <laughs> That's right, I did. It has got Orlando Bloom in it as well. I just thought I'd go with Scott Eastwood because it was funnier. It wasn't bad. The out, last, or the Outpost, or Last Outpost, what was it? The Outpost, apparently. Okay. Yeah, there's a Cary Grant film called The Last Outpost. Um, yeah, it was okay. Not bad. Not, not to do with Outpost, the World War II Nazi horror film. Oh, that's Overlord. No, 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 no. There's an actual one oh. called Outpost with... Um... Might be Craig Fairbrass actually, uh, but it's about okay. a, a German bunker in Siberia or similar, about Nazi soldiers that are out of flux with time, and like Nazi super monsters that come back. And yeah, it sounds as bad as it is actually. I don't know. You sold me. <laughs> Linking back to Cam's point, earlier, they also did the mechanic. Yep. yep. Got a lot of time for the so mechanic. So Millennium had had a big hit in 2013 with Olympus Has Fallen. It was actually a real surprise hit, and it obviously spawned a franchise that's still ongoing. And so they were looking at Criminal as being the next sort of big action thing they were going to launch. And so they were going to go from script to screen on this one in 13 months, which was really fast-paced. And so, yeah, they brought in uh, director Errol Vroman, who'd done a 2005 indie drama called uh, Rx, and then in 2012, had a little bit of a breakthrough with a movie called The Iceman, which was a biopic on Richard Kuklinski, who was a mob hitman. I did see that movie in theaters, actually. It was with Michael Shannon. It wasn't bad. Um, and then he would move on to Criminal as his follow-up, which, as we'll talk about, didn't do quite as well. And this movie was shot at the tail end of 2014, but not released until April 2016, so I'm not really sure why, if it got bounced around a schedule or what was going on. Um, they originally had it coming out four months earlier than that. So I don't know. And um, just some of the casting, we've touched on it earlier. Like, there's some big names in this movie, which is kind of surprising. Once you watch the movie, you kind of wonder how at least some of them wound up in it. Gal Gadot um, actually knew Roman from back in Israel. And um, he... Uh, cast her in this movie two weeks before she landed Wonder Woman. So there's a very real chance she's probably not in this movie two weeks later. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, just training back to just ask Jamie, you mentioned about it not coming out for two years. And I, I Jamie, do you have any info on that? Because I imagine you would have been involved in that process. I I have friends that were on the reshoots. I, I, I My understanding was that it, it did not get the reception it needed. It didn't, um, it definitely didn't hit the beats that it should have hit. Um, I mean, re- reading back, because being a massive geek that I am, I, I sort of read around the issues with it, and apparently the script was so convoluted, and the, um, the 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 source material that they were trying to warp into this action sci-fi drama thriller situation that they ended up with, um, they went, we're we're just jumping logic over and over and over, and I think they they went back and plugged holes. Um, I think audiences, like test audiences, just came out and were like, "No idea. Don't I don't. I don't get it." <laughs> you know. Uh, so I think that's a lot of what it was. Um, like the more I read around it and the more flashbacks I had, I was like, "Ah, oh, that's why. Ah, oh, that's ah, oh, right." Because um, a lot of it was budget as well. Like thirty million is not a lot to make this kind of film. I, I, it's a huge amount of money. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a lot to do this sort of scope of film. So I think they maybe overreached, they overpunched, and then had to sort of bail it out a little bit. Yeah, that does make sense. And just the other actor I'll mention is Ryan Reynolds, who signed on to do this. He actually just did fit this in. I think he only worked four days, and it was all the time he had because he was about to go shoot a movie called Deadpool. Which, again, if he does Deadpool, which turns into a massive worldwide phenomenon, is he signing on to do Criminal? Probably not. So it's kind of like a right place, right time for a lot of these actors to all show up in this movie. And uh, as Jamie said, the budget for this was $31.5 million. Domestically, it did 14.7. International, 24.1. For a worldwide total of 38.9. Which means it made, which means it made a loss of 16 at least. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. I don't really get it. <laughs> I, no. I mean, we'll, we'll get into maybe what worked and didn't work with the film in a minute, but I, I just have to wonder, because I'd never heard of this film, but it mm. is on Netflix here in the UK. So it is obviously still making some money. Has been The rights have been bought by Netflix. People do want to watch it, apparently. Um, so that is a life for this film. It, but to me, it really much, it feels like one of those direct-to-Netflix films. Yeah. It has that vibe to it, or like a Sky Movies film, which is a very British reference. I'm sorry for everyone who's in Britain, but Jamie would get it. Yeah. Um, and, and I do find that to be quite strange. I, I wonder if there just wasn't a marketing machine behind it or... It, where did it come out in, in, in the year, Cam? Did you have that at all? April 2016. Is that generally a profitable month? Yeah, that's not a bad month at all. No, I mean, usually um, the I don't... dumpster fire is yeah. January for that sort of stuff. So, if it, yeah, yeah if, the, if anything after April, they were expecting a reception for it. And we'll maybe talk about the ending a bit later, but there definitely seems to be a vibe that they want to keep talking about this guy. I guess it's it's so weird, though, when I looked at this movie's box office performance for the year and that when you go to whether it's box office mojo or the numbers, they list all of its statistics under 2015. And I was like, what the hell? Because I go through all the release dates for this movie are in 2016. I thought maybe it was a case where it was released you know, some country at the end of 2015, and that's why it's listed. But I could find nothing about any release in 2015. But for some reason, if you want to look it up, 
in terms of where it landed on the top 200, you've got to look up 2015 on both of those sites. So um, I went and basically fit in where it would apply in 2016, because that just made more sense. It would have landed at number 146, right between Masterpiece Mystery, Sherlock, Abominable Bride, which I guess was a theatrical showing of the Sherlock series? I don't know. As in... Benedict Cumberbatch. Abominable Bride wasn't the BBC one, though, was it? I think so, yeah. They did do one big special, didn't they? Uh, the the Cumberbatch one, where it was like... I thought that was the Christmas special, where they did the um, the Rickenback Falls, or whatever it's yeah. called. Um, because right, it's not a movie. Like, no, yeah, that was definitely TV. So that seems to be what this must have been. And then it was one spot higher. It would have been one spot higher than Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny, the sequel that no one remembers. Uh, the top three for the year for 2016. Number one was Finding Dory. Number two was Rogue One. And number three was Captain America Civil War. Well, I mean. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, slightly different films there. Yeah. Slightly, slightly. Hmm. So, um, yeah, we could talk more about maybe why that was the case with Criminal in terms of its box office, but that sort of sums me up on my behind the scenes. I mean, Jamie, before we go on, do you have anything to add about like behind the scenes that you recall at all? Uh, from from my like experience on the set, and like we, we obviously did a lot of stuff at the cement factory, inverted commas, um, everything, everything went really well. Like, everyone was enjoying it. No one was having a bad time. Um, for the most part, it was this is going to be a fun action film. There, there wasn't a lot else to it in that sense. But then a lot of the stuff that when you're on the, the bigger parts of the sets is you don't see the really intimate parts of the films. You don't see the stuff with um, Costner and Gal Gadot in the flat, for example, and the, the leaps in logic that take place for that part of the story. You, but also the stuff... Um, the stuff with Costner's escape and things like that, where we you, you just sort of like have to go, okay, like fine. Um, so I I think the real crux of it is is it's a difficult film that was everyone had the good intentions to get it done, but I don't think anyone really knew what they were doing with this. Like no one really knew. Are we going full out action here? Uh, are we making a spy film? Um, and because it's sort of like a mismatch and it's sort of slap bang in the middle, the audience kind of does the same thing. The audience doesn't really know. I mean, you, you, even the even the name of the film doesn't really beg spy film or action film, really. Or sci-fi. I, I have questions about the title. I, honestly, I was trying to figure that, that out. I mean, technically, they even say, we can't charge him anything because he's got problems. What can you do wrong when you have no conscience? So he's not really been charged with anything. So is he a criminal? <laughs> and yet you find him in a cage with a chain around his neck. <laughs> hey, that, that's just the American justice system for you. That's all that is. That's actually just where they found Kevin Costner for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> He'd gone rabid. He's just making those grunting noises. They're like, the job's yours, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I think that sort of weaves us over. To talking about the film itself. And Jamie, you're our guest. You worked on the Bloomin' film. You have every right to talk about this film first. What do you think about it six years removed? When I spoke to you, I was like, oh, you're doing criminal. I, I had genuine fond memories. Um, <laughs> oh, we're doing criminal. <laughs> oh. 
And then the more, obviously, I watched it back without reading anything. And, like, I wanted to come to my own conclusion because I'd only watched it once way back when. And then, I mean, we're talking, wow, I watched it. I watched it when it first came out, six years ago, and then that was it. Never didn't cross my mind again. And you know how sometimes nostalgia really gets in the way of your opinion. Like th this was one of those times where I was like, I really enjoyed this, but this is this is not good. Like this is this is. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to enjoy it. I actively found myself wanting to enjoy it. Um, I don't think. Um, I don't know why Reynolds is in it. I really don't. I think I think Ryan at that point was on the upward anyway. I don't I don't really get the need for him to be in this as a plot device. Um, so that 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 kind of was jarring for me. And then on top of that, why is Gary Oldman so angry the entire <laughs> film? I'm pretty sure he doesn't like. I mean, aside from the fact his name's Quaker, aside from that. Like he is just shouting at everyone the entire from the moment you're in the CIA thing and he's screaming at Scott Adkins to type and then from that moment on it's just an angry man throughout like a uh, Costner wakes up in the bed and he's like ten seconds removed from brain surgery and it's like you're Bill Pope you're Bill Pope like <laughs> what <laughs> so yeah watching it back I was like from from my perspective like humble opinion just as a camera monkey uh, it, it's a bit of a garbled mess for me um there are some good action points and there are some there are some fun elements around it but it's just not one thing or the other it's kind of a ugly mismatch that doesn't work uh, well that wraps us up everyone we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs> had looked up you know the kind of the critical consensus on this one when i sat down last night and i started it quite late around 11 at night and i was like okay is this gonna be like a slog am i gonna sit here and just be bored for two hours i hope not because when you see it's also close to two hours you're like uh-oh um but like i genuinely found for the first hour it was like really fun kind of trash can action filmmaking where it's like it's schlocky it's sort of self-aware, but not fully. Like, it seems like some of these actors are just full, as you said, like Gary Oldman is just like, I don't know what he's doing. He's frenzied. He is like he is at the uh, the film The Professional, where he's just screaming, kill everyone. Yeah. It's like he's doing that in every scene. I'm like, okay, it feels like a lot of actors who are probably taking a paycheck job, but like at least camping it up and having some fun with it. I'm like, okay, I can get on board with this. For me, like where it really lost it was... The plot is so convoluted with the, you know, Spanish um, anarchist. And Scott, we talked about an anarchist in Triple X. Mm. And we weren't like that complimentary. Yorgi, yeah, we weren't that complimentary to Yorgi. But I understood what Yorgi wanted to do. Whereas this character who really drives the film, I was so baffled by. Like he works for an organization they acknowledge at some point that I'm like, what? Like I don't even understand what this organization is. So things like that began to bog me down as well as just like it gets very conventional and to me what made it fun was in that first hour where yes it's ridiculous it's completely insane that they would get a i don't know chained up sociopath and like make him the only option they have to save the day like that's crazy but then you start getting into this sort of I don't know, this warm family drama with Gal Gadot and a child and then the child's in danger and I'm just like this is like cliches. I'm watching cliches in a movie that at least should have 
gone more of like the crank route with Jason Statham, where it's like, look, we know this is schlocky, but we are going to go balls to the wall crazy. It feels like that's what Criminal probably should have been instead of winding up kind of in between two worlds and probably by the end pleasing no one. It's interesting that you both kind of came up with the, uh, in different ways, you came to the conclusion that it's neither fish nor fowl. It, it didn't work for you either way. It, 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 it kind of, it middles, and middling is ugly because it's too safe, and Cam's right. At least with like a crank or even a mechanic, if you go 100% all in, then people will, the people that already like that, you'll get them, and the people that can turn their minds off will go, yeah, I accept that. But if you bring it back to the middle, people go, uh, this doesn't feel like either. I don't like it. I wonder, too, with like Kevin Costner, these aren't his necessarily best days as a movie star when he's starring in this movie, but like he has had decades as like an icon. And I wonder if you plug him into this movie, I'm sure he's super excited about getting to play this sort of frenzied killer. But can he make this movie without being redeemed by the end? I, I do wonder about that when you cast someone like him versus someone like a Statham who is kind of like a anything goes type. I, I don't know. I think Kevin Costner, there's a little bit of that movie star vanity that would sneak in and prevent him from giving a character that's just all edges. And do you think the beach sequence at the end is exactly saying that? Like, they've, like Costner's had it written in at the end. Look, there's no way that he got shot and he dies on the runway and that's the end of it. it, it there's got to be... I've got to have my moment with the touch on the nose and, like... It just feels to me like they went, yeah, okay, Kevin, we'll just write this down and we'll just do that. And yeah, yeah, that's fine. We we have a beach in Portsmouth somewhere. We'll do that. It's not a problem, you know. That beach scene reminded me of the movie Tree of Life. <laughs> it was like I was watching Sean Penn contemplate his existence on the beach. <laughs> I think by that point, we all were contemplating our own existences. It's like, when are these credits going to roll? Just, just roll them. It's fine. Honest. <laughs> I was thankful for the 10 minutes of credits at the end, though. That That, that did save me a little bit. Oh, true. Okay. I'm leaning into my review. I'll tell you something. I was reading a lot of reviews about this before we came on here. And a lot of people had problems with the sci-fi element. They said, like, it's it's too silly. <laughs> I haven't got a problem with it. I like Freaky Friday stories. I think this is quite fun. It's interesting to have a spy film that does something slightly different. We can't all have, you know, Mission Impossible every week or Born Identity every week. That just gets boring. So this is a good concept. The problem is in the delivery. I think the direction is is not good. I think they've he's not coached them to any particularly interesting performances. I think the action direction leaves a lot to be desired in the few action scenes you get. Um, there's one bit that is shot quite nice, and it turned out that was actually Kevin Costner directing it, not Ariel Roman. The underwater stuff, yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. looked quite nice. I thought, oh, okay, no, that's not him. Great. Um, this is my only experience with Ariel, and I just genuinely wasn't impressed and I think I don't mind them going balls to the walls chewing up scenery I, I grew up and watching you know Star Trek Bill Shatner just going to town in especially in the movies I'm happy to see people chew the scenery if they're having fun and I love the fact that this film is full of people I know and love in cinema I mean not just the ones we've mentioned we've also got Alice Eve um, Colin Salmon's in there you know, yeah. from from the Bond films. It's only for five With seconds. a very, very good American accent as well, actually. That, I did find it crazy. They've got so many British actors yeah. all doing American accents. But that, <laughs> yeah. they all do very well at it, so I can't complain. I don't know that Gary Oldman's accent was that great. I was... It's a one-way street as well. You don't get Americans doing good <laughs> British accents. It only goes the other way. 
Yeah, uh, I, I can't think of a good like example. Renee Zellweger, I think, didn't she do it fairly well? Oof. No? Okay, I don't know. Oh, Cam, you're notoriously bad with accents. I think anyone can take your, <laughs> your opinion on this. I only so. cite that one because, at least in terms of North American critics, a lot of them very much complimented her on her accent work in that film. So I'm just going off of what they said. <laughs> North Americans complimenting North Americans on her British That's accent. Right. Great That's stuff. right. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> the audience right there. Yeehaw, it sounds like British people to me. <laughs> Wait, is that Gary Oldman's American accent? <laughs> Flawless. Flawless was, stuff. I don't quite know what accent he was doing here. He, we know he can do one really well. You know, you watch the Dark Knight films and whatever. Like, it's not like Gary Oldman can't do one. It's like he had some sort of, I guess, Virginia twang he was trying to work into it. But it, it felt very cartoony a lot of the time, especially when he's yelling. I find it very hard to critique Gary Oldman because a lot of the stuff I aspire to do yeah. is based around the fact that I'm I'm perpetually inspired by Gary Oldman, um, and like I, I've I've watched films like The Hitman's Bodyguard, where I've got like 45 minutes in, and I've gone, that's Gary Oldman, and you know, and and I look back over films that I've enjoyed over decades, and I, it's, it's weird to say that, you know, uh, years and years of it, but like The Fifth Element, it's just like, oh wow. Like Gary Oldman, yeah, he's chewing the scenery for fun, but it's a fantastic performance. And it's very hard for me to sort of watch this and go, oh, no, <laughs> this isn't this isn't great. But then like he does something like uh, Darkest Hour and you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, good Lord, he's fantastic. Yeah. You can't even see him underneath the Winston Churchill. He's, he just just he melts into that character. He's He's got the talent. But I mean, just to wrap up what I think on it before we move on. I just think it's a mess and it's a shame because I think it had all of the, had the great concept. I don't know if the script was necessarily there. I don't think the direction was there. And so I think that means it just fumbled its way. And it's a shame really, because with this cast, you could have easily had a, 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 a not, maybe not a hit, but a, you could have made this money back and you know, got a little bit of buzz going. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, get I, I don't think, I don't remember seeing any trailers for this in theaters. I don't remember. I mean, was there red carpet event did there was there a release for it jamie that you're aware of not that i'm aware of um i didn't hear about the cast and crew for this one um i i i hold my hands up i am notoriously bad for going to parties and red carpets and stuff like that it, it's not my thing i'll go to the gym but um no i didn't hear a thing about it and i, I it does feel to me after test screenings and stuff like that this was a shove under the carpet get rid of sort of thing it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like this was look what an amazing film we've made um which is i i think a lot of the time especially when you talk about these sort of directors and you, you sort of lean into luc besson territory a little bit here and mm -hmm. it's just it's just not there and i think it's a gamble that hasn't paid off and they've gone bare minimum to get it out and that's it I would say that because I remember Three Days to Kill, like that was a movie you'd see the trailer and I go to the movies almost every week. And at this point, in, you know, in the 2016, probably twice a week sometimes. And you would have seen that trailer for Three Days to Kill pop up, you know, every so often. But like, I don't know that I ever saw a trailer for Criminal. It really was, I think, quietly, quietly released. I think so. Definitely. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Agents. We have some breaking intel. That's right. Independent podcasting is not cheap. Equipment, hosting, research, these all add up, and we don't have Vesper Lind to bail us out. 
And also, we don't want to run ads on the show. Leave the shopping to Harry Palmer, we say. And this is a big reason we created the Spy Hearts Patreon. So we're here to ask for your help. Please consider joining the Patreon. You'll not only be gaining access to our exclusive lineup of reviews and film commentaries, but also helping support the show. We're currently saving to upgrade our sound equipment to meet IMF standards and give you an even better listening experience. With a wide range of flexible options and an ever-growing catalogue to dive into, become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards or you can find a link in the show notes below. Now Cam, resume the spy jinx. Okay, well let's let's tackle the things we did enjoy about this film. So I'll throw it out to Cam first. Give us something you actually liked about the film. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner going mad is like what kept this movie alive for me, especially for that first hour where I don't know what he's doing. Like it feels like an actor who's reached that point where he's aging out of the more conventional leading man roles he would have been getting for so long. And he's like, well, I don't know. It seems like people like Liam Neeson are having fun in Taken movies. What can I do? And just... He is growling. He's making weird noises through this movie. He's running around punching out British people for some reason. Um, like, it feels like an insane performance. It's just when I'm watching him in, like, a bad wig and beard, and you know, on the end of a chain, like, you know, pacing like a mad dog. I'm like, that's interesting. And, like, he is what's keeping me locked into the movie. And... Even though I don't like where it goes emotionally, you can tell he's trying to sell it. Like, it never feels like he just gives up and shrugs and goes, I don't know. It feels like even by the end, he's committed to to the bit. <laughs> I, I get the feeling, and I, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I, I have a feeling this was maybe pitched to him as something that he could do more than once. Yeah. Like, it, almost like a Taken, like you say. that it, if, if it hits, you've got an action franchise in your hand. Because by the end of the film... He's got all of the uh, spy capabilities of Ryan Reynolds, and he's also a murderer, so he's pretty good at fighting people. That's a good combination that would be quite interesting to see on screen. Unfortunately, the last half an hour is very boring. Yeah. So people don't want to see it. Do you want to see the version of the character at the end of this movie? Do you want to see him go forward? No, I want to see the guy who goes to a kebab shop yes. on a Friday night and then uh, gets a kebab and then beats people up outside, which is, to be fair, the usual Friday night. And smashes someone in the head with a cooler. I've never seen that before. Just picks up a food cooler and just smashes someone in the head. I was like, that's clever. I like that. The rest of it is garbage, but that's good. And I, I felt very seen in that moment because I'm sure Jamie can attest to this. You know, it's a, it's a regular thing we do in the UK here. We go and get a kebab. And then we smash someone's face <laughs> in and steal their vans. Sure. Huh. I, I think, Cam, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of this is what, um, like, certainly from like an actor perspective, uh, you call a tick box performance. It's something where it's completely out of your wheelhouse, but you, you, you wanted to get it like out of your system. And that for me is sort of like this is so far removed from what Costner does. And you, you can tell... He's not necessarily enjoying it, but equally you can tell that he's leaning into this quite a lot. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not a bad performance for sure. Um, but I think he, he went, I'm going to have every single negative element that I can find and just chuck it into one performance because I might not be able to do this again. Well, I mean, my memories of Three Days to Kill are very vague, but like the performance here is far more memorable. Like it feels like 
uh, I don't think either of these movies are making the Kevin Costner, you know, Hall of Fame when he gets his, um, you know, <laughs> Golden Globes or Oscars or whatever shout out and they're playing the, the highlight reel. But like, it seems like at least here you would underline this one as a real novelty in uh, his filmography that like people would go like, you know, you should check out that movie Criminal because Kevin Costner does something there you're never going to see anywhere else. Yeah. So it's sort of interesting for that. Yeah, I'll give it that. Well, what about you, Jamie? Something you liked? Cam, Cam stole my thing about Costner, definitely. Um, I like the sci-fi, genuinely. Um, I've, I've had this sort of discussion about consciousness and things like that, which I, I think is an interesting topic that um, I'm sure Elon Musk will steal from sci-fi at some point very soon anyway. But I, I like that, and I... I it's not it's not even the first film where Ryan Reynolds is either in someone's head or someone's in Ryan Reynolds's head. This is like the third. It's it's ridiculous. It's, it's like it must have it in his contracts. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, the sci-fi elements are great for that. Um even if the uh the military stuff, the wormhole technology is a bit schlocky. Um it's been done a billion times. But in all honesty, I quite enjoyed the action sequences. Um I thought the getaway sequences with the police cars and the ambulance in particular was very good there was some big set pieces there with the flipping um police car in the pursuit and the uh truck jackknifing which i thought was awesome um a, a lot of unnecessary police the british police death in that but uh yeah and um if if i'm honest i i genuinely enjoyed the supporting cast in this i i thought they all Given anyone who wasn't necessarily a name at the time, even uh, the uh, the guy who plays Sucre in um, Prison Break, uh, I've forgotten his name, but uh, he's with he's with Scott Adkins for a lot of it. Um, that that sort of side of things I really enjoyed. I thought they did a fantastic job. Um, so yeah, in in terms of pulling all one way for a performance, like I I thoroughly enjoyed the supporting cast and the action sequences. Well, you would say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> that's so biased yeah just just I'm, I'm i'm just staying on brand here <laughs> no no i i do you know what i i i lapped on the action sequences myself and i i agree i think that that little bit with the ambulance and the police cars was interesting at least yeah. and um it, it kind of went for it i suppose what i'll spin off from yours is i quite liked some of the i quite liked the violence yeah that was kind of refreshing I, I i mean some of the blood was maybe a bit gratuitous for some people but i didn't mind it was an insane film so just to have that blood stuff was just a, a nice addition because why not lean into it like cam said it, it it was a novelty definitely for an what would you you would call an action film essentially to have that level of blood and that that level of sort of uh viscera in it which i i, I wasn't expecting for sure um and even down to the makeup on Costner, um, it's a lot more than what you normally get. Normally, it's just like a little white line drawn or, you know, similar. But this, you know, huge scar on the back of his head and then this big hole on the side. And it's like, oh, this is this is brutal. And a lot of those movies that came out post-Taken were all, at least here, you know, PG-13 action films. Because they were like, well, we can get teenagers in the door for these movies. And this one goes full R. Like, when I was watching him create that hook and like rip out that uh dude's throat uh, when he's in the back of the uh you know the the officer's car like that's really gory and i was like oh okay that's actually kind of interesting i appreciated that they would go there with the violence and you have him attacking a bunch of dudes with an axe at the end and that was pretty cool so in terms of kind of giving me visceral violence 
movies of this era weren't great at that, and this one I at least appreciated seeing that. See, what you've mentioned just there, there are two points, and there were two things when I watched it back where I was like, one time they hit the nail on the head, and the whole sort of um, impulse control thing that Costner was going with, which I, I thought was all right, when he lights the cigarette after the car crash and the petrol is leaking out, and I went, hmm. are they going to subvert expectations? And through the cigarette, poof, it goes off. I was like, yes, there you go, because someone would just go, oh, lit, fire, fire, boom. And I loved that. And yet at the end with the axe, I was like, okay, uh, he's going to do the whole Terminator thing and just keep walking at him and walking at him, and walking, which was stupid anyway. Like, guy's got a gun and you've got an axe. You, yeah. But, but <laughs> yeah. The, the throw of the axe, um, I, I was like, there's got to be a payoff. This has got to go straight into the Spanish-German guy's chest. But no payoff, no payoff. And I was just like, all right, you've got to the end of the film and you've missed a, you've missed a beat. Um, I know they wanted the big explosion in the air and all that sort of stuff, but even even just if it landed in his shoulder or something like they, they built it up and built it up and built it up and to not do that with the axe was just like oh. I, I will just take a moment to mention something because you, you brought it up Jamie it's actually on my dislike pile but that ending how silly is that I mean on a scale of 1 to 10 right, so his, his gambit is that he reprograms this wormhole uh, thing it's called wormhole yeah. MacGuffin What's our new name for MacGuffin, Cam? Didn't we invent a new name for it? Oh, God, I can't remember. I like MacGuffin. MacGuffin oh, is it, is it, was it a Transmooker? Was it the Transmooker? Oh, the Transmooker, yeah. <laughs> it's the, trans, the Transmooker of this film is this, is this wormhole. And he decides, well, I'm going to reprogram it. So the first rocket that... Uh, Heimdall. Geordi. Uh, What's his name? Is it, is it Heimdall? Oh, it's Heimdall. That's, what, that's what I mean oh, by so the whole yeah. Spanish-German thing. I'm like... Is he Xavier yeah. or is he Heimdall? Can we can we make a choice for this one? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing he it, the first rocket he shoots goes back at the the sender. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all well and good, but what if he fires a nuke? That was my that was you know that was the biggest crux of the whole thing was that um, Oldman is legitimately losing his mind from minute one. <laughs> All the way through to this two-hour mark, screaming about these nukes and national security and all the rest of it. And yet, we don't see a single nuke fire. And the first thing Heimdall does is fire a rocket from a silo, not send a nuke. The, the, the character is totally 100% laser-sighted laser on blowing things up with nukes. That's the whole point of this whole film. And yet, the first thing he does is a garbage, tiny rocket that blows himself up. No payoff. Well, um, I suppose I have to do my like before we move on to dislikes. <laughs> now, I've had, I've had both of my likes taken. I, I know how you feel, Jamie. So I will just say I liked seeing London. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a small thing because there's not a lot of things. But, you know, Jamie and I are both Londoners. So I've been to a hell of a lot of the places that are in this film. Um, I'm currently recording at the cement factory right now. <laughs> it's very cold. Please send help. I'm strapped to a chair as a man with a cattle prod. Um, no, but like, you know, uh, you had Borough Market was there. Just, just some sights to see. I quite enjoyed that sort of side of things. Um, we tend to get a lot of spy films to take place. And in London, it's all just Westminster or it's Knightsbridge. Or, or, to, or it's Toronto. It's nice to see the East End a little. Oh, well, yeah, or, or it's, you know, yeah, Vancouver <laughs> pretending to be London. Um, yeah, it's actually just nice to see a bit of the East End, a little bit of South London. Um, I, I like that representation. Yeah, I mean, it made use of locations fairly well. Although at this point, as a North American, I'm like, 
Another spy movie set in London, huh? Okay. <laughs> what does the spy movie set in, in British uh, Columbia look like? Uh, we will have one. It's um, Ballistic X versus Sever. Oh, dear. Oh, oh boy. no. That's the pride and joy of my uh, province here. That that's one. Of, that's one of the legitimate zero percenters, isn't it? Like it's that bad. It is. Yeah. It is. I think that's probably why they stopped filming in British Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we can't go ballistic. We can't. <laughs> We've got to sever ties with that. <laughs> X that one out. <laughs> oh. <wow. laughs> uh, we're here all week. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well dislikes time now cam stole jamie's jamie you're up first something you disliked if, if i'm honest i i i actually genuinely dislike the named talent in this and their performances uh for the most part i it, it really disengages me because i'm asking too many questions of the talent the whole time I, i'm sort of even though I, i'm like happy enough with what Cosner's doing I'm still like mate pick a lane just just pick one of them it, yeah. it's fine be be the aggressive guy or be the guy with no co uh, impulse control or be the guy that just mumbles but it didn't work and then I've, I've said it already Gary Oldman does only have one and eleven in this film like that's it like, like he sits in the corner looks angry and then screams that that's that's the majority of it uh, I'm pretty sure Tommy Lee was just picking up a paycheck. Uh, I'm not even sure why they used Tommy Lee in this. Um, he's so tired and sad here. <laughs> yeah, he's so, so miserable in this film. Like the, the bit where uh, the agent turns up and says, we need you on a plane and you're going to this place. What do you need? And it's just like, he just doesn't even look up. He's just like, oh, I, I need my kid and I need this. And like, you, you don't want to be here. You're, you have no interest in this film at all in any way, shape or form. Um and yeah, that really sort of, as much as I thought the supporting cast were good, um, uh, no, the, the casting for me is jarring at best. You know when you have a, a pet and you get a treat and you, they follow it in your hand until you give it to them? My picture is Ariel Vroman behind the camera with his check, just holding it for Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones. And he's just like, go on, say the lines, Tommy, say the lines. <laughs> It's so weird, like, Tommy Lee Jones the same year does Jason Bourne, and he's, like, yeah. really effective there. Yeah. Not my favorite Bourne movie, but he's effective. And he actually later on would do The Mechanic Resurrection, which I'm sure was a paycheck job for Tommy Lee. But, like, he is going crazy in that movie. Like, he's doing a under siege um, kind of performance where he's really going campy. And he was kind of fun in that movie. So this one is just kind of, like, sad Tommy Lee looking very plaintively at the camera a lot. Like, you're just like, oh, this poor man. He seems so sad. Um, yeah, sad, sad Tommy Lee just doesn't sell at all. And No. No country for old men. Like, if you're going to do sad Tommy Lee, there has to be a real reason for it. Yes. This was sad Tommy Lee because he's like, I've read this script. I ain't got a clue. Like, that, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And for me, what I didn't like, I mean, the villains. And the villains drive the plot of this movie. And Michael Pitt, his entire performance was filmed in basically isolation. <laughs> and from what I've heard, that's probably for the better. Because I've heard Michael Pitt is a little difficult. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, Jordi Mola as this anarchist, who I do love that, like, the anarchist does all of his typing in front of, like, stained glass windows. That kind of made me laugh. But the fact is, like, they set up that he's from, like, some organization called Stone Harp. And I'm like, I don't know what Stone Harp is. And they keep throwing around the term Stone Harp. Uh, and then 
it's just like they aren't interesting as villains and they give them so much screen time to just get more and more convoluted. So by the end, I'm like, I, yeah, I guess like you could have given him a very basic thing. Like, like um, Yorgi in Triple X, you know, what he wants to do is very simple. Make the um, Xavier Heimdall character like what his aim is, is very focused and simple. Like we don't need to do all these logistical loopholes with the um, hacker character, you know, played by Michael Pitt. Well, I think you've, um, I, I think if you dig a little bit deeper into that, it's more a problem with just a lack of tension. Yeah. You don't establish any of the villains. There's like a hint that there's some sort of ticking time bomb going on in Kevin Costner's head, which is never explained. And then by the end, it turns out he's just fine. Well, they also set one up with the hacker where they're like nine hours, three yeah. hours. And I like that there's a six hour jump. They're like, okay, well, we're going quickly through this. This is what I was, I was saying earlier. That there's so many setups and so few payoffs in the whole film, like across the board, whether it be plot, character, um, MacGuffin, and all of them, That I think they maybe landed about 10% of them. Yeah. The only villain I thought worked was um, the Elsa character played by, I think, Ante Trau. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's the correct uh, pronunciation. But yeah, like I thought she had genuine presence and she would show up, I guess, the year before as um, General Zod's go-to, you know, first um, officer in Man of Steel. And I thought she was really cool there. She had a lot of action presence. Very good. And she's good here. I like that character. I don't think there needed to be a love interest with that. I, I think that the character oh. had enough autonomy, um, especially just from the delivery of the action and the fact that she is a recurring theme from uh, the underground stalking Ryan Reynolds all the way through. And you didn't need to tie her into anything else. She could have just been that autonomous character without that. Yeah, like she's his hired muscle and like clearly is like a you know Terminator going through this movie. Yeah. I suppose if I'm going to chuck in the thing I disliked, which we haven't really dug in on. I, I said I like this. I think, Jamie, you said you like this too, which is the sci-fi element. What I dislike is they didn't use it. Mm, yeah. You've got a duality in this person. He has two consciousnesses, I guess, existing within him. And yet he really effortlessly melds the two. And there's no like hiccups. Okay, He beats up a guy in a pastry store. Uh, I guess the kebab shop thing, I guess, but there's no, like he's not playing two people. He's just playing Kevin Costner being a bit crazy. What I would have liked um, and where it is done very well is upgrade. Yes. Yeah. That's a fantastic movie where you, where STEM is talking to the character the whole time. Um, so something where I, I don't know, would it have been, so I know it was too expensive to get Ryan Reynolds back in to lie on a slab. So that is a really like expensive prosthetic that they got for the head chop thing. Um, but would it have been that expensive to get Ryan Reynolds in to do some VO inside his head or something akin to that? Like, so there is that duality element because that you're, you're right, Scott. It, it's just an angry Kevin Costner being an angry Kevin Costner. There's no changing of the character as such. Well, we're all Star Trek fans. We've mentioned this already on, on the, the episode. We love high-concept sci-fi. We can understand it, and we can interpret and deal with it. We're not idiots. We're not, not understanding what's going on here. They're just not exploring it at all. They've gone, hey, here's this cool idea. Ah. Well, if you're going to do the face-off kind of riff, <laughs> you got to go full bore. Face-off did it too well with the Nick Cage, John Travolta to kind of go half-assed. And I think the problem is Ryan Reynolds was only available like four days. 
But yeah, you, you don't really get much of the Ryan Reynolds personality so that when you're jumping over to Kevin Costner, you don't have that sort of connectivity between these two personalities. You're like, I, he was kind of like bland CIA guy. I don't really know. And so you're really just watching Kevin Costner like win over Gal Gadot's character, which isn't that interesting and makes her look like a bad parent a lot. So She's much. just letting her child spend so much time with this man who like the day before had broken into her house and like duct taped her to her bed in the most horror movie way you can do that as well like eyes open uh -huh. duct tape on mouth like that th there was nothing else to that and it's just you now let this man who scar on the back of the neck or not you are now taking the leap of faith that he is safe around your child insane well he, he broke into their house that's an invasion of privacy and then of course tied her up and i mean that's one of the most uncomfortable scenes in this film because it really does hint at yeah well he's going to potentially do something quite sinister at this point it obviously pulls back from that and he's not going to do it because he's got that ryan reynolds voice in his head that you don't know you're supposed to just figure that out yourself um i just think that's a a waste of an opportunity i'd almost rather they gone further with it and I don't, i'm not saying i i think they should have done that necessarily but maybe attacked her and beat them up and then taking the stuff and then start to have the memories like, oh, I should go back and make amends and then build the relationship instead of just being like, oh, I guess you are my husband. Well, uh, do you want some lunch? Yeah, that, that scene where he ties her up is really skeezy. Like the camera's really focused on Gal Gadot's legs through that <laughs> whole scene. And you're like, that is intentional. Yeah. Like they really want to showcase that. And it's, it's, I don't know, like, a lot of the movie has this sort of winking, dis, uh, disreputable sort of attitude of him, you know, beating people up on the streets and stuff. But it's like, you kind of cross a line with a scene like that where it makes the audience actively uncomfortable to it, watch it's it. It's borderline getting on the whole saw, uh, hostile vibe. Yeah. And that, yeah. that really pulls you out of anything action spy thriller at all because you're like, this isn't my this isn't my thing at all. Well, it's interesting because Cam had this issue with Taken 1. Was it quite a gratuitous display of abuse of women? They were captured and drugged and abused. And I know, Cam, you had a lot of trouble with dealing with that and sort of watching it, found it quite uncomfortable. I am dead inside, so I had less problem with it. But <laughs> So am I, but I still had the problem. No, I, I felt like it worked for Taken One. It gave it the stakes it needed, so you understood Liam Neeson's drive to get his daughter back. You needed to see the harsh reality to understand why. This didn't give you a harsh reality. It gave you the soft, fluffy version of... I mean, this would never happen. If I broke into someone's house, I could have read their internet history and been like, yeah, that time you bought a Toyota. Ha ha ha, I must know you. <laughs> Get no, off. I, I, yeah. I think without real... Again, it, it's the character... It's the, the director knowing the script and the characters not, essentially. And it's we're going through the beats of a story and we're missing logical steps and they tried to, and you can tell with the reshoot you can tell with the pickups on the beach where oh we've got to put the touch on the nose or you know because they've they've gone we have not sold this um uh bill pope inside jericho's head thing at all and it, it's like a last ditch because in my in my like sort of selfish actor mindset i'm thinking is costner going i want a sequel where i get a different cia agent in my head like and it's over and over and over you know or is it just a case of i can't be seen to be the bad guy here i have to feel it's the latter of the two i feel like I he, so. he's at a place where he doesn't want no. to 
he doesn't want to play those roles anymore. Exactly. Or I would assume. I don't. I don't know his career that well. Maybe he's playing those roles right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. I can't think of what I've seen him in last. Uh, he, oh, he's doing Yellowstone, that TV show that's like a huge phenomenon. I've never seen an episode, so I can't comment on what he's doing there. That sounds like a western. Yeah, it's sort of a modern western. Yeah. Um, but any more dislikes? Any more for any? Uh, um, the pacing is garbage uh, at best. It, it it sort of it feels like the script was meant to go to more places and do more things, and when you sort of cut away a lot of it, and <clears throat> I know they couldn't afford to shoot on the continent, for example, so a lot of it had to stay just in London, um, things like that. That that really just sort of it was a bugbear for me it's like there's no scope to this there and because there's no real oh we, we flew from here and we flew here and it's just inside building inside building inside building it looks cheaper than i think they meant it to i think a lot of the the post-surgery scene for example looks like they on the on the day the art director went I don't have a room for you to do this. And they've just like, <laughs> they've bundled people out of props department and just shot it there. It It's weirdly lit. Um, it, it looks way, way more claustrophobic than intentionally. Uh, so for me, I, I think the pacing and the locations just do nothing for me at all. I think they shot that scene in Tommy Lee Jones's garage. That's why he looks so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Will you please leave? <laughs> we're having a garden party please, why are all these people, people in my house <laughs> Tommy we have to check for you I don't care I don't care I was in Men in Black 3 damn it um, okay well I think just like final thoughts before we wrap up and, and answer the ultimate question so uh, Cam do you have any final notes for us Kevin Costner driving down the street listening to dance music yes. was one of the most embarrassing dad moments I've ever seen in a movie. So much so. It's so jarring. <laughs> He's listening to Radio 1 Extra as well, which is the weirdest thing. Like, I mean, that's a very British reference again. I'm sorry, folks. But Radio 1 Extra is like, I'm going to say an urban music channel. That's because that's the sort of thing it would advertise as. Right. Um, I, I, I don't know. It feels very off. I'd almost rather he put on like an 80s pop hits. Yeah, because it felt like it felt to me watching that that is this shorthand for this is what Bill Pope likes music wise. Because, but again, a no no setup, no payoff because we didn't see anything about Jericho beforehand. Like it's not like you do the classic villain thing where he's in the cage listening to like thrash metal and then Bill Pope gets in his head and then suddenly it's like house urban like drum and bass we we have no setup no payoff so it's just weird i think i might make a little meme video out of that and just put different tracks on it and just see what it looks like <laughs> they would all be more appropriate I, i'm really thinking of like um two hearts by phil collins i think that nice. would work yeah 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 um bohemian rhapsody actually what what's like a split personality song we could put on there that would work Ooh. oh my god i'm sure there is it's got to be like Talking Heads or something like that have done something, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Peter Gabriel. Let us know. If you can think of a funny uh, something about a split personality song, I'll make a meme video for you. Just let us know. <laughs> um, also, you know, they, uh, the one thing also I'll mention is just the science where they're like, this is a one in 10 million case. I'm like, is there not another second one in 10 million they could use like this was the best option and the fact that tommy lee jones knew about it so quickly they're like do you have a candidate oh he's like oh you're, of course you're not I do. gonna like it yeah. yeah it's like i am this like 
seemingly very like quiet um studious doctor who suddenly knows of this like rabid madman being chained up in a cage somewhere like what it's also apparently next door because they need to go very fast so they do not yeah. travel he's literally i think they're keeping him in the cage downstairs yeah and I, I don't think we'll talk about the whole due, due process side of things but i'm pretty sure we can't keep people in uh you know chains anymore <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Well, I think we're beyond that now. Uh, this was 2016, so uh, how how uh, how aware were we? Um, <laughs> well, it's all in the rearview mirror now, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, what about you, Jamie? Any sort of final notes on the film? <clears throat> Missed opportunity would be the biggest thing I I, I want to say about this. Um, I think the other film where there's Ben Kingsley in Ryan Reynolds' head, um, selfless. Does, does this better, 100%. Um, it does a much better job of being hunted down. It does a much better job of the action. So this, this for me, was an opportunity to do something very fun with a very cool cast, and it feels like a phoned-in performance across the board. Um, whether they were hamstrung financially or logistically, or you know, that that's equally beside the point. Um, I think going into this, you would have gone what can we actually get out of this? And I don't feel like anyone got really on board with it or weren't able to deliver what was required. Um, it's too, it's either too high concept and not enough for the execution or no one believed enough in it in the first place. So yeah, massive missed opportunity to do something very fun. I We didn't mention it in the review, but like the Alice Eve character, I just kept wondering why they cast her. Like I... Was so confused. Just to shoot her as well. Just to kill her. She has nothing to do. Like a lot of her scenes are just like reacting to what um, Gary Oldman says, and I'm like, maybe she just wanted to work with Gary Oldman, or did they promise her more than what ultimately was in the movie? I don't know. It was weird. And she she gets just unceremoniously shot as well. Like there is nothing to uh, there's no gravity to that at all. Um, Yeah, they don't they don't lament it, do they? They just sort of she's just dead. Yeah, Costa gives her two looks. And then walks off like that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think if you're going to watch a film with someone in someone's head, you've got better choices. And I, I've already mentioned it, but upgrade would be a much better uh, interpretation of what this is. Or being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich, yeah. Also, another example that this one kind of evokes a little bit, uh, not necessarily in someone's head, but like RoboCop. Yes, you have a lot of those scenes that are quite similar as well. I had a couple of quick notes. Firstly, this film depicts what might be the worst version of reality. We were talking about the dark universe side of things. I've got my goatee on today, so this is the mirror universe, (laughs) Scott. Uh, Apparently, Piers Morgan has a daily TV show in this reality, so I couldn't think of anything worse. Could you imagine? I'd probably punch my TV. That's pretty bad. However, this film does relate to me in one way because when Kevin Costner looks in the mirror, I have the same experience and I also see Ryan Reynolds when I look in the mirror. (laughs) Weirdly, I see Kevin Costner. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that, that holds up, that holds up. Well, the last question I had is sort of a, a quick topic for debate is... Could they ever do a sequel to this? Not, I mean, we'll take the budget to one side. We'll take the money it made to one side. Let's say it was successful. Let's say it made money. Is there a sequel in there? Is there an interesting story to tell with the sequel? There is an in-universe sequel to this. There is not a sequential sequel to this. 
um i the way they made the sci-fi work feels very one hit one wonder sort of thing like it's one person's things into one person's head that that sort of like a done deal um i think if you had another like like cam says with the one in 10 million there's eight billion people on the planet so one in 10 million is actually quite a lot of people so i i think there's scope for in universe i don't think there's scope for sequential sequel yeah cam am i are you are you sold on a sequel could you could you make one would you make one should we make one well in a world where we do that like i i think it's an interesting tact for like the dad action movie to have the dad who's like kind of you know also kind of like a frenzied killer type like that's sort of interesting but like the way they set it up for a sequel here i'm like no i don't want to watch this yeah i wouldn't watch the cost of the character again absolutely not yeah um, I don't think anyone listening at home would disagree, no, <laughs> frankly. Well, okay, I think it's time to figure out whether this film is truly bad enough to be locked up. Is it criminal or is it walking free? Jamie, you're our guest, not Clear's time. Is it making it yes or no? No. <laughs> I mean, this isn't a surprise for anyone. Yeah. I don't think any of our votes are going to surprise anyone. There's, uh, no there's absolutely no point in putting the sort of like... Uh... Who wants to be a millionaire? Tension music in is there? Like, <laughs> would you like to phone a friend? <laughs> yeah, sort of like, dup, 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 dup. like, <laughs> da, 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 da. yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, uh, so that's a no from you. I, I, I think we could guess that, Cam. Uh yeah, no for me. I mean, we didn't put Taken on the knock list. It would be very sad to be putting Criminal on the list. Yeah, cool. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah what a, what a shame though you know taking such a great film great I, I don't regret not putting i think it is a i think f- the first one is a good film. it's a good i don't regret film. not going good on. yeah good action film thank you jamie i don't think it's a good spy film no. so that's why it doesn't make yeah. an awkward for me yeah. i think it's an interesting action film and i think this had like such a fun concept and such a great cast they just whiffed it yeah absolutely whiffed it and it's a, it's a shame it's one of those and i understand why it's been dumped on netflix really it's one of those curiosities you might stumble across at two in the morning when you're sitting there in your underpants eating a bag of doritos yeah, yeah. you don't know why you're there anymore but you end up watching criminal for some reason and you kind of wish you were in someone else's brain instead of eating the doritos <laughs> sad story i actually didn't realize it was on netflix so i paid the rental for oh, so, um, oh. anyone who gets residuals from criminal you're welcome Oh. It's going to Jamie. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> those, those penny checks you get in the post. <laughs> well, you can now say you were paid to do this podcast because of Cam. So. I, I, I legitimately was like, am I going on Pirate Bay to get this? Or am I like actually going to have to pay? And then on a whim, I was like, Netflix? Oh, okay. Like... <laughs> uh, pro tip for anyone, just go to justwatch.com. You type it in, you select your country, and it will tell you where you can get it and if you can get it for free. Nice. Well, I, I, there's no point digging into it too much. It's a no from me too. As I said, complete missed opportunity. Completely agree. Well, there you go, folks. That's three no's. And as such, criminal isn't making the knock list. We should probably lock it up. <laughs> Put a chain around its neck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will ask the quick question, Cam, before we uh, wrap up the episode. Is this bad enough? No, no, nowhere near. Okay. Okay. It, we're not disavowing this one. I, I don't think it does enough missteps in that sense. It's just they didn't do well enough with what they had. Yeah, 
I think you're quite right. It, it's it's not like asylum level bad. This isn't Sharknado bad. This is this is just like this is this just isn't what it could have been. At least Sharknado's fun. The second half of this film isn't fun. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the problem. I think that's more its problem. Um, there you go, folks. Criminal is not making the not and as such. The dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. Jamie, I want to thank you once again for joining us. No, thank you, guys. This has been awesome. I'm glad we have you on the show. It sounds like you might have some stuff in the works. You might be making a reappearance down the road. So uh, I'll, I'll be expecting a DM. I'll be expecting a DM. <laughs> I, I I will be sliding into the Spy Hard DM um, with uh, some some more uh, less cryptic information very soon. Nice. And also, you know, you've um, survived the trial of fire where you deal with a movie like Criminal, but that means you get something really good later down the road. So, uh, yeah. We need to start making good on those promises because we've had a lot of people on for bad films and then never had them back. No, I want to just keep making the promises. <laughs> a lot of people are waiting for Mission Impossible and they're like, yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> that call's never coming. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but you know, Jamie, we, we spoke about it in the beginning. But you know, firstly, what have you got coming up? What can people look out to see you in? So, got some very cool stuff. Um, we, uh, my production company, are actually working on a couple of British films at the moment. Um, some more like snatch, lockstocky type stuff. Um, we've got a film called This Way of Life, which is going to be about mods and rockers, and then the mods in a contemporary setting dealing with uh, Ukrainian gangland warfare, which is very cool. Uh, we've also got um, The Beast with Eddie Hall and Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is a very cool documentary um, studying what it is to be an elite performer and also dealing with the trials and tribulations of the transition from elite sport to entertainment and the mental health and all those other aspects of that. So some very cool um, and very varied stuff going on um, over the next couple of years. I met Eddie Hall quite some time ago. He is a top bloke. Absolutely wonderful guy. I do an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast on the side, so, uh, you know. I, my, I grew up on Schwarzenegger. Um, like, at least three of my top ten films are Schwarzenegger films. And I, I make no, no um, apologies for that at all. I mean, it's hard to. When you've got stuff like Terminator 2 and Total Recall on the list, yeah. Oh, at least that. And without, you know going too deep into it predator and commando yep definitely and you mentioned uh, morris men earlier that that's not out just yet when's that coming out so morris men we will wrap filming ideally end of february um then that goes into full edit um at the moment there is a there is a build that has been done which is three hours long which really does need trimming um but uh, i have seen some rushes and it does look like a lot of fun, um, even if I do say so myself. I hate watching myself back. It's it's one of the worst things that an actor can do. Um, but watching it back and seeing some of the action sequences and some of the set pieces and how it's been shot, um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And aside from that, I mean, your links are going to be plastered all over the show notes below and over our social media. But where can people find more from you? Mostly on Instagram. Um, I, I I love the platform. So at, at Jamie B. Chambers um, for all my acting stuff. Um, website, jamiechambers.co.uk. Um, when I do get around to actually updating my stuff when I'm in the country long enough to do it, um, <laughs> I will do it. But yeah, um, that, that's where you guys can find me. Well, thank you once again, Jamie. It's been an absolute blast. Guys, thank you so much. It's been awesome. Well, Cam, what's up next week? 
Well, we dealt with some high-tech spy stuff this week, and next week we're going to be doing the same. We are revisiting the Spy Kids universe with Spy Kids 3D. Game over. Uh, this is a, uh, an interesting film. I uh, I can't, uh, unfortunately, like put my hand out through your earphones to reach out to you, so we can't do a 3D podcast, but we'll try our best to make it as in-your-face as possible because we're bringing back the Chicklet podcast. That's going to be a lot of fun. We did Jason Bourne with them, and I think this is going to be just a blast. It sounds like you probably need to be a little bit lit to watch Spy Kids 3D as an adult anyway, so I probably will be drinking a wee bit of beer. There you go. So there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Spy Kids 3D. Game over. And join us next week. Criminal didn't make the knock list, unfortunately, but you can find out the films that did over on letterbox.com slash spyhards, including our disavowed list that features the worst spy films ever made. So look out for that. And do not forget to follow us discreetly, of course, on social media at spyhards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, will somebody get Jericho his lunch? (laughs) 